Scaling Up Nation, there's a new standard out there that you may or may not have heard of called ASSE 12080. If you haven't heard of it, ASSE 12080 is a new professional qualification standard for people providing water management plans or Legionella-related services. Now that you've heard about it, what are you going to do about it? Here's what I did. I signed up for HC Info's online digital platform to get the required 24 hours of training so I could take the certification exam. There are other training courses out there, but they all require you to take time out of your busy schedule to attend a week-long video conference style class. I did not have a week to give up during my prime business hours. Using HC Info's easy to use platform, I can take classes on my schedule, which for me is at night. Some nights I take several classes, some nights I don't take any classes. The point is I can fit it in when I'm able to. The content is straightforward and teaches you what you need to know to become a certified professional. Don't wait until your customers ask you if you are certified, get it done now. Trust me, once your customers find out about this standard, they are going to demand the people they work with are certified. HC Info already offers the most economical solution to training. As a Scaling Up H2O listener, you can take an additional 7% off by using the discount code SCALINGUP5. Already an HC Info Lamps member, you'll receive an even bigger discount. Take it from me and use the easiest, most schedule-friendly and economical way to get your ASSE 12080 training today by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash HCinfo. That's scalinguph2o.com forward slash H-C-I-N-F-O. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore. I get to host this awesome podcast, and we're going to talk about a lot of awesome things in today's show. One of the awesome things I want to mention is how awesome the hang was yesterday. Of course, 2020 in all of its uniqueness, we have not been able to network and meet new people in our industry as easily as we have in past years. Well, the folks at AWT and I got together and we decided that we were going to try to make that as easy as possible for you with creating these hangs. So we did our first ones at the convention. Those were extremely successful, so successful, many, many, many people reached out to me and said, please keep these going. I really felt connected with the community. I got to see people I normally see throughout the year, and I haven't had an opportunity to see them. Well, AWT, the Association of Water Technologies, said the same exact thing. So my staff here at Scaling Up H2O and the staff at AWT decided we are going to make this a regular thing. So our first one was yesterday. It went very well. I say the first one. It was the first one after the convention. And folks, it was so good seeing you. The questions were good. You meeting people were good. Uh, the things that people are working on, that was awesome as well. So again, 
Just awesome stuff going on in the podcast today. Thank you for all of the people that attended yesterday. Hopefully you'll come back. If you wanna register for the next one, it will be in January. So you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang and we'll have information there. You can register. Once you register, you'll get an email where you can click on loading it directly into your calendar that has all the login credentials. So we'll have more information as we get closer to January. So stay tuned for that. And folks, if you missed the convention, if you missed yesterday, that's okay. We're going to do it again. So register by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang, and you can get on that very next one. You know, all sorts of new things is what we're trying to do coming up next year. The Hang is an example of one of the things we've done in 2020. And folks, let's face it, we've done a lot of new things because we've been forced to in 2020, but they weren't all bad. I mean, they made us think differently. We're gonna carry a lot of that stuff into the next year, but we're also thinking, what is some brand new stuff that we can do that helps enhance your experience with this show, with this industry that we all love to be in? And friend of show, no stranger to Scaling Up H2O, you've heard him many times, our friend James McDonald has an idea, and I would love you to listen as he shares it with us. I'm here with James McDonald, and James, I want to welcome you to Scaling Up H2O and ask how you're doing. Hi there, Trace. I'm doing just fine, and thank you for having me on again. Absolutely. You've been a, you've been a great supporter of the show, and I have to tell you, I am really motivated from your project that you've had this past year called Reading with James. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about that and what successes have come from that. Yeah, as we started off 2020 or right before, I was trying to think, what, what did I want to do personally to improve myself as an industrial water treatment professional for 2020? And um, I was like, well, I need to read more. So I was like, well, what, what are my goals? I'll, I'll, I'll read an article a week. And then I was thinking, well, if I'm going to do this myself, why don't I share this with my colleagues on, on LinkedIn and see if maybe we can go on, on this journey together. So um, I started posting my, my memes each week. And the side benefit as well for me for doing that is it made me accountable so that I would certainly read an article a week, which was my original goal. So I would hunt through the internet each week, find the article I thought was, was worthy and share it out with a meme. And you know, I've gotten a lot of conversation based around those articles I've shared. They've, they've gotten a lot of viewership on them. And I think, I think it's been a hit. It's been a fun project. Well, your original goal was to learn more during these last 52 weeks. Do you think you have? Yes, absolutely. Not just from the articles, but also from the comments from my, my colleagues out there on LinkedIn who posted about the articles as well. So it's, it's, it's a win-win. Well, with that being such a success, I can't wait to see what you have in store next year. Well, next year, I was thinking, what can I do that's different from my reading with James, but, but would still allow us to grow together and go on, on this journey together? And I thought about posting a challenge each week, a challenge, maybe large, maybe small, but something that each of our industrial water treatment professionals within our, our audiences can maybe do or even at least think about that will make them a better water treatment professional at the end of 2021. So I've called this James's challenge. 
And so each week on Scaling Up and also posted on LinkedIn as well, you will see James's challenge. And so the first one starts, I believe, on January 1st. I believe that that's a Friday. And um, we'll, we will have 52 of those all throughout the year. And hopefully by the end of the year, we'll each be able to look back uh, where we were at the beginning of the year, realize that we, we have grown in some way or another and are truly a better industrial water treatment professional. And the topics range from anywhere from our, our water testing to account management and communication to our technical knowledge. So um, hopefully most of them will apply to you, but even if they don't apply to you directly, I challenge you to put some thought into the, the topic as well. So um, that's my plan, Trace. James, I'm super excited to add this segment to our show. I know we're going to get better as a water treater because we're doing something new, something different every single week. So that's 52 chances to become better. And I can just think that when people are doing that, sometimes this feels like a lonely job. We're just in our windshield driving from account to account and we're in the mechanical room. Well, as we're doing these challenges, we need to remember we're doing them along with somebody else. We are in a community. Absolutely. And it's not just a community in your state or in the country. Thanks to you, Trace, it is a global community. Well, I think that is thanks to all of us, but uh, I am sure glad to be a part of it. And I'm really excited about this. So folks, be sure that you tune in on January 1st to hear our first James's Challenge. And this is going to be a regular staple for 2021. So we're going to get 52 items that are going to push us to become better water treaters each and every week. Fantastic. Scaling Up Nation, that's right. James McDonald and I have teamed up to deliver you James's Challenge a weekly challenge guaranteed to help you become a better water treater. One time a week. Think about it. That's 52 opportunities for you to do something up and above what you are regularly doing. One of the problems we get in is we get stuck in our day-to-day -day whirlwind and we know we need to do new things. We know we have to get better at things. But if we stay stuck in the day-to-day, -day, it's hard to get above the day-to-day -day so we can get better to help the day-to-day. -day. So how many times have you been given an opportunity that addresses that very thing and makes it so easy for you to get 10% better one week at a time. That's right, if you do the math, it's almost 10% if you look at the days that you have in a year and you doing these James's challenges are going to help you get better. So I urge you to complete the challenges each and every week but don't keep them to yourself. Share them with the Scaling Up Nation. We'll have hashtags out there. Please use social media so we can continue to stay connected. We can continue to motivate each other. And we can see that we are all raising the bar together. Now, speaking of raising the bar, there are so many things that you have to pay for in our lives. And there's so many things that we have to buy that help run our lives better. 
And if we had better information when we bought these items like lights, vehicles, all these different devices that help us do our day-to-day life, we could potentially save a tremendous amount of money when it comes to the operating cost of all of these things. We just need more information so we can make better choices. And that is exactly what our guest is here to do to help us with today. My lab partner today is Ron Kamen. Ron, how are you today? Outstanding, Trace. How are you, sir? Doing very well. Very much looking forward to this interview. I've done a lot of things or some things, I would say, that I want to talk to you about. And you are the expert. But before we get into that, I would love for you to tell the Scaling Up Nation a bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm a clean energy guy. I've been in clean energy ever since getting out of college. I believe firmly that we are making a transition to clean energy for a number of reasons, both environmental and climate and breathability and livability, but even more so because energy is a big cost. And when you can figure out a way of saving energy And going clean, you save green in two ways. It's the environmental savings, but it's also in the dollars and the pocketbook savings. And the only way to be truly sustainable is when that energy savings, that energy impact becomes affordable and saves us money. So I've done that all my career for the past 30 years. I've worked in clean energy, helping people figure out ways to save money and reduce their carbon impact and leave a legacy. And it's been really fun. It's, uh, I've worked in the water sector with water treatment plants on the public side, but also on the private side with businesses and nonprofits and all sorts of institutions, large and small, people who pay too much for electricity, heating and cooling or transportation, want to save money and have a positive impact. Well, I think you're going to fit in perfectly here. And in addition to all of that, you also have your own podcast. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So when COVID hit, as all my clients kind of went into hiding for a while to figure out how to survive on the commercial side, I had for a long time wanted to reach out one to many and a colleague, coach actually suggested that. I set up a, a podcast to reach out to the masses. And so Awesome Earthkind is that podcast, and it's about the awesome forces of nature, the four elements that are us, the air, water, earth, and sun. So A-W-E-S, the forces that are us, awes us. And then the last letters of awesome is M-E, and you and me, and seven billion of us on this planet all women and mankind, all earth kind. And the fact is we're a fifth element now. We are a force of nature. Some would argue that we became a force of nature when we dropped that first nuclear bomb on August 6, 1945 with atomic energy. But the reality is now there's so many people on this planet. We're all consuming so much and having so much of an environmental impact on the air, water, and on this planet in general. So we are a force of nature. So now we've joined the other four forces of nature, and we can either have a negative impact, which you can see around us in various different ways, or we can take this next step to move to clean energy, which is 90% of the greenhouse gases we emit. 
by moving to clean energy, we can not only have a positive environmental impact, but we can save money and we can create a much more prosperous and fairer economy, which is something that is near and dear to my heart. So the podcast, Awesome Earthkind Podcast, helps people understand the opportunity, know about the technology, see how we not only have a thousand times more energy surrounding us from the forces of nature, but how our technology now can capture, is capturing those forces of nature and turning it into applied electricity, heating and cooling, and transportation, and how doing that saves us money and creates jobs. So that's what the podcast is all about. We interview some leading people in the field. We interview homeowners who are doing it in their homes, and then all sorts of businesses and nonprofits and everyone along the spectrum of clean energy, some people who are just taking their first step with things like LED lighting, others who are much more involved like you, Trace, I understand, with doing solar and doing electric vehicles and doing clean heating and cooling as well. That's an awesome setup. And and I got to tell you, having the acronym built in and awesome, that itself is awesome. So I, I think that's very impressive. Uh, you know, I was surprised that it, no one had come up with it before. It's just one of those silly things, I guess, kind of like uh, peanut butter and chocolate or something. I, I don't know. But uh, but yeah, when you take a look at the forces of nature, you know, the air, water, earth, and sun are just astonishing. And uh, that power is unbelievable. We're always, I mean, every tornado, every hurricane, every drought, every flood, every all the burning that's going on now, the wildfires. I mean, we are just blown away by these powers that are so incredible. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's awesome forces that are out there and we are awesome ourselves. You know, human beings are incredible. We can do so much in a very positive way. We can do so much in a negative way. But my piece is to help other people understand that you, all of us, we are all forces of nature and we can have a dramatic impact. And my goal and my hope is to help inspire folks to take their next step and to do be really awesome. Well, you said in the top of the show that we've got two camps. I say this on other shows and those camps are we have people that want to reduce the resources that they use and uh, make sure that whatever burden they're putting on the planet is as small as possible. And then we have other people that when they think about this stuff, they just think about saving money. And I think either camp is fine. But with that, what are some things we should be thinking about when it comes to green energy? Yeah, so um, I agree with you. It's um, this folks, go clean, save green, has that double entendre, save green in the, in the environment, save green in dollars. And one of my guests actually was a conservative who has been a conservative all his life and found that going down this route was a tremendous opportunity for him, for his business, and for his pocketbook. And Steve Malink actually has a, has a book out that's written specifically for conservatives about how to take this next step. Fusion Capitalism just came out next, this last month, and it's an awesome book for those that are on the conservative side. But I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's, everyone is somewhere on this clean energy spectrum. And one of the things I, I always advocate for is, look, don't go throwing stones about how you're better or worse than somebody else that is somewhere along the spectrum. We're all on this spectrum. All of us that you can't live in this society and be 100% perfect with clean energy because we're all living in this, in this civilization. And until our civilization makes the shift, 
we're all just somewhere less than perfect. So don't go throwing stones. Find out for yourself where you are and take that next step. And by taking that next step, save yourself money, have a positive impact. And yeah, I mean, if you care about the future and you think that this stuff is going to have a positive impact for your kids and grandkids, leave a legacy for them. So some of the things that we can do, for instance, um, lighting, LED lighting, lighting, everybody knows about lighting to some extent. We all have lights. It's what keeps us going. And, you know, clearly we enjoy lighting inside our buildings and outside as well. When you have a standard incandescent light bulb, 90% of the energy that's in that light bulb is producing heat. That's why when you touch a, a standard incandescent light bulb, you burn your hands because 90% of the energy is wasted as heat. When you have more efficient lighting, light-emitting diodes or LEDs, now most of that energy is producing light. So less heat, same amount of light, better quality light, really. And what you have is an improved performance, reduced cost, more efficiency, and a step in the direction. And not only do you wind up with all of that, but yeah, you pay a little bit extra for that LED light bulb up front compared to an incandescent. But instead of lasting as long as an incandescent lasts, an LED lasts 10 to 20 times longer. So when you take a look at how much money you're going to spend on purchasing light bulbs, you wind up saving money over the long term. You have less energy costs, so that has a payback in months usually. And then in addition, you have less hassle of having to change out those light bulbs all the time. So that's one simple, easy example that we use. And you can go into the next level of, for instance, um, on a place that's close to water quality, which is air quality and filters and air filters. And most people don't even realize that they have air filters in their homes and in their heat, in their air conditioning systems. And those filters are very important from a number of ways. One, they take out various different nasty substances, which are very important, especially in these days of COVID and other airborne pathogens. So those filters are important to keeping that health there. But when those filters aren't changed regularly, they build up. That buildup creates the opportunity for a lot of nasty things to live on those filters and then get spewed into the air. And it also starts backing up our, our cooling and heating systems. And by backing it up, that creates more pressure. That pressure means your system has to work harder. When it works harder, it uses more energy and cost you more. And in an HVAC system, what happens is on the cooling side is that pressure then will also have an impact on the coils and can cause your system to break down earlier. So you have increased energy costs initially. You have the potential failure now of pushing your system to fail. And then you have pathogens that are coming out in the environment. So all those reasons are efficiency measures that are health measures. They're ways of saving you money up front. And that's another efficiency measure to take a look at, looking at your HVAC system. And I know You've done a lot of work, Trace, right, with HVAC and the fact that when your water system is scaling and getting impurities, as everyone does in the water, if you don't clean that water, your system is working harder and then costing you much more and having potential breakdowns. I, I believe that's true in your system, right, in your world. Absolutely. I always say insulation is great in your attic, but you don't want it in your pipes where we're doing the heat transfer. And that's what all that dirt and debris tends to become. 
Yeah, so it breaks down the heat transfer, and I, I understand that you look at yourself as a heat transfer efficiency manager, right? Hey, you've so been listening sure. to the show. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that heat transfer is key, right? And, and making the, the heat go where you want it to go and not stop and be stuck by impurities and buildup and all that bad water stuff, you know, that's a key component of things. So so on the on the efficiency side, that's two real simple, a couple of easy examples of where you can save money and do yourself well and help reduce some of your hassles over the long term too. You mentioned LED light bulbs, and we moved into our current building about eight years ago, and I put fluorescence in. And fluorescence, eventually that phosphorus coating they put on the tubes breaks down. And as those lights started dying, I started replacing those with LEDs. And I could not be more amazed at the better quality light those things put out. So I can't wait for the rest of them to burn out now. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, there is an argument to be made on a cost-benefit analysis that if you change them out before they burned out, you might actually save some money and, and be able to have a, a long-term benefit even sooner. I mean, clearly it's great when it burns out to replace them with LEDs, but there's, there's a whole business out there, billions of dollars worth of clean energy investments just in lighting because the cost benefit of doing it sooner than later makes so much sense. So actually we've worked, I've worked with uh, a lot of organizations that took a look at that and there's even third party financing. So if you're a commercial institution and you haven't changed out your light yet and uh, you want to take a look at the energy savings, there's the opportunity to do that. Either have a great return on your investment because you're, you're looking at returns of probably 20% or better on your investment. But if for whatever reason you don't have the capital or you're a nonprofit, let's say, and you can't take advantage of some of the tax benefits, there's third parties that'll come in and do a performance contract. They'll put it in, won't cost you a dime. And what happens is they get paid back out of the energy savings. So it's a win-win-win situation for you, no capital outlay, save some money. The company that puts up that gets repaid out of your savings. So you're saving money, but you're paying some of that savings to the company that put it in. And meanwhile, you gain the benefit of having reduced cost. And over time, your company will be paid off and you'll have 100% of the savings. And again, improve quality of light, improve performance, reduce the energy cost, positive environmental impact, less hassle and less maintenance. Boy, who could ask for more? (laughs) There you go. Well, obviously, if you're working with one of those companies, they're going to figure out ROI for you because that's how they're getting paid. But for somebody that doesn't use one of those companies and they're trying to figure out ROI, what are some of the things, you mentioned a couple already, but what are some of the key things they should be looking for? And then with you working with your clients, what's that point in time that people say, wow, that's a quick ROI payoff or that's just too long? I don't think it makes sense to do it. Yeah, so um, so everybody has their different hurdle rates about their investment, you know, and most business people would say that if they had a 10% return on their investment, that's pretty good. Um, when you get up into the 15 and 20 and 25% returns, which is what you usually look at with lighting, boy, it becomes really almost a no-brainer, right? So part of it is in terms of what you're looking at, you're looking at how much energy do your particular lights use? So how many watts are they rated at? 
how many hours are they on? And if you're on a long, the longer lights are on, the more and faster your payback. So the more it's costing you and the faster your payback is when you change them out. And then the third factor is the cost of electricity and how much you're paying for your particular kilowatt hours in your particular locality. And in addition to the kilowatt hours, there's also kilowatt demand. And I don't know if your audience is familiar with that kilowatt demand on commercial charges. Absolutely, they are. Okay, great. So kilowatt demand is how much energy you use usually in any 15-minute period during a month. Some utility have it, so any 15-minute peak during the year is what you charge for. But you want to keep that peak down. And by taking out the lighting piece and reducing that lighting load, you're reducing that peak demand as well as your energy usage over time. So those are the two the two cost factors you're looking at, your KW demand reduction from reducing that wattage down with LED lights and the kilowatt hours of time usage. And then multiplying that times your rate, your utility rates will give you what your cost is and then what your savings opportunity is. And then the question becomes on your labor side, how are you paying to have these replacements? Some people have a, a contract with a lighting company or a, a maintenance company who comes in and changes it out, and that costs them so much per fixture or so much per hour. If you're doing it internally, that's a cost of your own labor to then change out those lights. And when you take a look at these LEDs, you're looking at long-lasting lights that have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of hours worth of usage out of them, depending upon the brand that you're using. So we actually did a, a, a show, an awesome EarthKind podcast show with a guy who just relit the Oculus, which is the World Trade Center right across from the Freedom Tower in New York City. So it's a multi-billion dollar facility. And actually, they just had, for Veterans Day, they just had those LED lights turned red, white, and blue. And they uh, they uh, honored veterans with this red, white, and blue lighting. And they were able to do that specifically because they had these new LED light controls. So you gain some additional control benefits, not only with quality, but also with being able to change colors to do various different things if you want during the seasons. And yesterday in the Oculus, they turned on this multi-million dollar project, which was just beautiful and incredible to honor veterans. So there's a lot of different things you can do with this. And on the show, on, on the show with Bernie Erickson of FSG, which is a national company that does LED lightings all across the country, they talk about um, some of the quality things to look for and how to choose the right LED. You want to choose one and if you're doing that in your home. You want to choose a long-lasting bulb, not one that's, uh, you know, that's rated for a few thousand hours. What you want to do is go for the longer-lasting one. You probably want to choose one of the major manufacturers who are now in the field that have a very high-quality standards and good warranties in back of those. So there's a number of factors that you would look at with lighting. And again, one of our shows is on specifically on LED lighting. So if you want to know more, listen to Awesome Earthkind and FSG and Bernie Erickson on LED lighting. There you go. And we'll make sure to put a link to that directly from our show notes page. You know, you were talking about monitoring kilowatt hours, and that's pretty much how we sell our water treatment wares is we say, Mr. Customer, this is what you're spending now because we don't have the right equipment to keep things efficiently flowing when it comes to heat transfer management. If we do these things, we can actually make our program save 
you money over time and, and perhaps even pay for itself. So I think we are spot on with uh, how we're looking at uh, either how we sell or how we upgrade so we can get some of these better lightings, better equipment, overall less cost to run these equipment and less impactful on the planet. Exactly. You know, it reminds me of a story that I told a couple, uh, I don't even know when I told it, it might have been a year or so ago. I was working with one of my clients and the chiller mechanic, we were of course treating the water inside the chiller, but the chiller mechanic came in and they were going to clean it and they were going to clean it in such a way that they put that chiller back online at about 4 p.m. during the peak demand during the summer hours. And I pointed out, if they did that, they were going to be at the top tier charge of all the electricity that they could consume during that day. And this was a pretty big office building. They were pretty darn close to exceeding what they were allowed before all of their electricity was graduated to a higher cost tier. Nobody ever considered that. But because we had that conversation, they were able to redo their schedule and they didn't have that impact. Now, I actually learned that with working with a client years ago where that exact same thing happened and they did go over how much they were paying electricity because they didn't give a thought to when those things were coming online, especially when you have this huge demand coming on in the peak time during the summer, and they had to suffer those costs for an entire year until it reset. Yeah, that's um, one of the challenges with different utility structures is, boy, they really nail you on those peak charges. And, you know, there's a reason behind that, because if you recall, when we used to have a lot of blackouts, the reason for those blackouts is when everybody needs the power and we call for the power, which is usually in this country during the summer, during the peak peak times of the summer, the hottest times of the summer, when all our air conditionings are going, but people are still in the office, so the lights are all on, and we've got all this equipment going. During those peak times, if they can't deliver the power, that's when you have the blackouts. So those peak demand charges came about to avoid that so that people would pay attention to when their peaks were and not bringing all the equipment on all at the same time. So I kind of understand it, but boy, you can really suffer in some utilities. It's a monthly thing, so you get knocked into those rates, and that's your peak for any 15-minute. That Whatever that 15-minute peak was, that's what you're paying for the month. But in other utilities, like the one you just said, it's for the year. And boy, yeah, that is a really costly, costly decision that uh, people don't even realize that they're making. So keeping an eye on those peaks is really important. Doing things with your HVAC system and staging them and having that run efficiently is really important. And then again, lighting is also really important because with your lighting system, if you're reducing from, let's say, 100 watts down to 20 watts, you've just knocked your peak down by dramatically in your lighting system. And lighting is somewhere, depending on the office, somewhere between 20 and 80% of your electricity cost is for lighting, depending upon your setup and how much other equipment you have, et cetera. So it can be a substantial impact. Not to mention it's taking that heat demand off of the systems that many of our listeners are treating, meaning that they don't have to upgrade to a new chiller. They can, they can get by on what they have. It, it's so cool when you understand all the energy that goes into things. When you look at the new technology, you can change the older technology out for newer technology and then make the budget that they don't have the money, the funds to purchase new equipment they do have the funds, like a chiller, they do have the funds to purchase these light bulbs or they can work with a company. It's just 
really excites me when people in my industry work in that manner as an advocate, because a lot of people just think we're delivering chemicals to a location. What good are we? Are the chemicals doing their job? What are we doing if the chemicals are doing their job? And that just shows what a value we can be when we're working properly with our customers. Yeah, no doubt about it. Your your work is really critical and having the ability to transfer heat effectively. And then also, you know, LED lights, as you said, they reduce the amount of heat load. So that reduces the impact on your air conditioning system, which makes everything much more efficient and affordable. Well, I have been dying to talk to you about this because this year has been my year of research on how we could bring our operating costs down in the building that we own, and then also figure out how we could be less impactful on the environment. And I have really been researching solar this year, and I wanted to do it 10 years ago when we moved into the building, and I I thought, oh, wow, I, I just wasted 10 years. But oh my gosh, the little bit of research that I did 10 years ago versus all the research that I did this year I wouldn't have wanted that technology back then. The technology is so amazing. Smaller footprints, more power. So all that being said, I have put solar on our office building and we don't have it connected yet. We are waiting for Georgia Power to come out and say the system's okay. But the great thing about Georgia Power, I just mentioned how they keep track of how much energy you're using and they will charge you if you go over peak demands. And in their case, for an entire year, that rate. But something great they do is they offer net metering. So at the end of the month, they see how much we produce versus how much we actually use. And whatever stays within our grid, they give us full price for it. And that made our ROI six years when you added in the tax credits. It was just a no-brainer to do. Yeah, it's an amazing thing, Trace, and you're absolutely right. So, you know, on the one hand, as they say, the best time to plant the tree was 10 or 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And that's so true with solar. Um, So on the one hand, yep, you know, you could have done it. And there were benefits then for folks who did do it. But now the benefits are even more amazing in terms of return on investment, ability to get more out of the system, to have an even bigger impact. And between the tax credits, which you got into this year, which um, means that you're at a certain federal tax level compared to next year when the levels drop and the year after when it's going to drop even more. So anybody that's thinking about solar, now is absolutely a critical time to do it. The price has come down so dramatically. So just like the smartphones that we have that 10 years ago were supercomputers costing millions of dollars and taking in a, taking a, a whole room, um, those little iPhones, smartphones that we have now have come down in cost. The same is true with solar, is that the costs have come down so dramatically and the benefits are there. And with net metering in your particular locality, not everybody has it, but many do. The majority of states and the majority of utilities have a net metering program. It just makes things so incredibly wonderful in terms of an ROI, as you're saying, of, uh, boy, what, six years? It's uh, 15% return on your investment? Not bad. Right, exactly. It didn't take me long to write those checks. <laughs> and again, you know, the fascinating thing with solar and with just about all these technologies is that there are third parties that'll put up the capital. So if for some reason you can't, you don't have the capital, 
you don't have the check, you can't write the check, or you can't borrow the money from one of your preferred lenders, or you don't want to take advantage of some of the leasing programs that are out there, there's third parties that'll put it in under what's called a power purchase agreement. And under those power purchase agreements, they put in the system, it costs you nothing, they do it all out of their pocket, they take all the tax benefits and all the other benefits, but then you just start saving money from day one. And for certain people and a number of nonprofits are especially in that where they develop a public-private partnership where somebody else puts up the capital, takes the tax benefits, they just then get the savings. So there's a split of the savings. Part of what happens is that you're now paying only for performance. So just as you pay the utility for so much energy that you're using, you pay the solar company for so much energy that they're delivering instead. And depending upon the utility and the deal that you strike, you can save usually at least 10%, many times 20% or more. In your case, you're going to save some money over six years, you'll pay back your investment, and then 100% of the savings is yours. So that's always the best is to own. The next best is to get a longer term loan. And if you can put it into a mortgage type of structure, which keep those loan rates down. So on a, as a homeowner, the best thing is to put it into your mortgage and just have a long-term mortgage at the lowest interest rate possible. If you can't do that as a homeowner, do a home equity loan, which gives you some of the same benefits in terms of lower cost and longer term and reduce cash per month. And that gives you cash flow positive from day one. But under any of those ownership, once you're done paying off however you put up the money, 100% of the savings is yours. So over the long term, it's always better to own. But if you can't, for whatever reason, next best is a lease. Third best is a power purchase agreement. Under any scenario, you save money, you have a positive impact, and you gain all those additional uh, benefits that you're speaking about. That's great advice. In fact, we did that exact thing that you're advising on my home residence. We've been here for about 10 years, and we were paying 4.75%. Well, folks, the rates, I think the rate we have now is 2.55%. I mean, it was just dramatically lower. And we rolled in the cost of doing a solar array here at our house. And with all of that, our payment is still lower. And we were actually able to get a 15-year loan, making that, you know, we're paying less over time for a shorter time period. Again, didn't have to think long in order to do all that. Right. And, you know, what you want to do is just be systematic about it, as clearly you are, Trace, and just do your analysis, you know, and figure out, well, if I put up the capital, this happens. If I borrow the money from and put it into a mortgage, this is how it looks, or a second mortgage, this is how it looks. If I borrow the money at a low interest rate, here's how it looks. Some utilities have low interest rates. Some states have low interest rate programs for you to do it that way. And then there's leasing options. And then again, the the last option, which still saves you money, There's a power purchase agreement where you pay for the energy as it's delivered to you by the solar company who puts up the capital. So there's lots of ways to do it. All of them save you money. All of them have pros and cons depending upon your particular tax situation and your cash situation, but they're all worth looking at and doing no matter where you are, really, anywhere in the country now. When you take a look at this world, um, 90% of the new generation, over 200 gigawatts, or 200,000 megawatts, an incredible amount of power. 90% of that is now going to be solar and wind this year, according to the International Energy Agency. So across the world, people are doing this, and they're doing it, yeah, they want to do the right thing. 
But they're doing it because it's now become the least cost option. The solar in the last bids for some larger solar projects out in the West um, have been the lowest cost power ever, ever seen in terms of cost, cost and power agreements. Um, under three cents a kilowatt hour on a uh, on a large scale basis. So this stuff is happening. It's happening faster. It's happening bigger. It's happening better. And there's ways to save money when you're doing it. Whether it's you as an individual in your home or in your office or in your nonprofit, whatever building you have. If you're paying electricity, there's a way of doing this now that makes sense financially. I totally agree. And as you mentioned, I enjoy looking at the numbers. I'm a, an Excel, an ROI, a, a dashboard, KPI kind of guy. And I installed both at my home and our building this device called the Sense. And you hook it up to your electrical service and it finds everything that is taking power from your panel and it creates a little game out of it. I had no idea that our little section of our building, when everybody was home and there shouldn't really have been anything running, all of these little chargers and things that people keep plugged in was costing me over two kilowatts just for these little chargers. So with that, I mean, that's every single day. Imagine that savings. Yeah, so those are called vampire vampire loads, right? Because they just keep sucking energy even though you're not using it. So that's one of the efficiency measures that we highly recommend for people. So if you've got anything plugged in, whether it's even a power strip or your iPhone charger, your smartphone charger that you're not currently using, or it's your TV, or it's your stereo, or it's a lot of devices, even though you're not using it, when it's plugged in, there's still a little bit of power that's going, and it's sucking that energy out of your system. And the Department of Energy has found that in a home, actually, that can be the majority of energy that you're using is these vampire loads from the appliances that are just sitting there plugged in and not even doing anything at the time. So that's a really good point. And uh, I hadn't heard about this sense meter. That's great. Yeah, I've actually got uh, an affiliate link for that. It's uh, scalinguph2o.com forward slash sense. I'm so enamored with this product. Several people I've told about have, have bought those and said they've had similar experiences, but it really does make a game out of it. In fact, it taught us that our IT policies that we thought we had weren't really happening. So when people are off their machines, and then especially after work hours, they're supposed to go to sleep. Well, half of them weren't, and that was causing us to use more power when nobody was using their workstations than we had to. I don't remember how many kilowatts we saved on that, but when you look at all these things and you can see exactly what's pulling the energy demand and you can say, well, do I need this? Can I make an adjustment to it? And because of that, I have now started all those fluorescent lights that I told you about in the very beginning because of I can see the load. We're now changing the most used areas. So we do have LEDs in our most used areas and we can see immediately on this sense device exactly what the impact was. It's really made it a game. How cool is that? Huh? Just amazing. Uh, additionally, it will measure solar. So as soon as we get our solar online, it's going to be another source for us to see 
the inverters that are creating the power from the solar panels, they have their software. And then of course, Georgia Power is paying us on what they say that we are selling them and what we're using. Well, now we have this other device that makes sure that those two pieces are communicating together. Metering and monitoring, right? So wonderful thing. So I, I also want to talk about electric vehicles. And I think a great segue to this is I drive a Tesla and my favorite Tesla shirt says, because there's only so much rotten dinosaur to go around. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. That's great, Trace. <laughs> but I tell you, the reason I bought the Tesla is uh, I'm a car guy and I, I love that motor sound. But a friend of mine is, he's had several Teslas throughout the year. I've always been interested in electric cars. In fact, uh, back in 2005, I bought a used Prius and I bought a kit online and I turned it into a completely electric car. Had something like a 90 horsepower engine. It was not impressive at all, but I took it to high schools. Uh, Georgia Tech has an Earth Day. I featured it in in that Earth Day fair that they've had. And uh, I got a lot of people thinking about what are some of the things that we can do, whether you think it's something we should do from responsibility of being inhabitants on this planet. What I was trying to do was say, this stuff is cool. You know, I was able to take this and do this myself and look how cool it looks. And that's what I was trying to sell people to do. But with all that, the reason I bought the Model S Tesla is because that guy will go zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds. And I don't know of very many normal cars, normal souped up cars that can even hold a candle to that. It's amazing, right? So the quote that I've heard is you get the performance of a Porsche for the price of a Buick. Well, in these case, maybe it's Ford since I know. Is, are there any more Buicks any left anymore? I'm not even sure. I so, think they're still so, doing Buicks, but but good question. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the performance of a Porsche for the price of a low-end car, right? So that's amazing. It's just incredible, the performance and the opportunity. And here's here's the thing, is that Tesla absolutely led this new wave with electric vehicles. They are by far out there. If it wasn't for them, I think we would be way, way far behind where we are now. But the fascinating thing to me is that it's not just Tesla anymore. Every manufacturer of, of automobiles now has an electric vehicle model. In most states, you can get incentives. In my state of New York, there's 50 different vehicles that are incentivized by New York State, 50 different models of electric vehicles where you get cash incentives to buy them because that helps you understand that this is a tremendous opportunity. And in terms of the sound, so for instance, most people who love cars like the Mustang. And this year coming out is the Mustang E which is a crossover Mustang. It's really cool. It's all electric. It gets amazing performance and it reduces everything that you'd want to think about. And you will also have the opportunity to have your own custom sound. So you can get that vroom, vroom sound with your Mustang A, which is kind of fun and interesting. A couple of things with electric vehicles. So first, the costs have been coming down, as you've noted, they're coming down to become much more competitive. And with incentives now, you can get an electric vehicle at the same or less price that you can get a comparable gas vehicle. So first, if you think that it's going to cost you a tremendous amount more, not always the case. And if you look at electric vehicles in the secondary market, used electric vehicles, 
you can often get a tremendous deal on them from people who have turned in their leases. So first, the costs are coming down, and with the incentives in many parts of the country, you can get an electric vehicle, buy it cheaper than you can a gas vehicle. And that's going to happen over the next couple of years without incentives. That's going to happen because the main piece of an electric vehicle is that battery. And those battery costs are coming down. It's solid-state technology, just like solar prices have come down, just like smartphone technologies have come down. The costs have come down and computer costs have come down. We're getting that same cost reduction curve happening with electric vehicles. So on the capital cost, right now you can get it the same or cheaper with incentives. Then a couple of years, that's going to be the most cost-effective option in terms of a capital purchase. And again, you have all these opportunities now. It's not just Tesla. Every manufacturer of Ford is investing $10 billion. Volvo is going to 100% all electric within the next four years. Every manufacturer has an electric vehicles, whether you're at the high end with the Porsche and the BMWs and the Mercedes or the midsize or down on the lower end, the Nissan Leafs and the Chevy Bolts and assorted other opportunities there, the Hyundais, et cetera. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. Why are people going? So first, here's an interesting statistic. People are worried usually with an electric vehicle about charging. The fascinating part to me is 98% of most people's trips in this country are less than 50 miles. So if you think about how far do you go on an average day, 98% of us, 98% of the time, go less than 50 miles. If you go even 100 miles round trip, an electric vehicle is an opportunity for you because you can just go home, plug it into your garage in a regular 110, 120 volt socket. And that gives you enough charge to go out and do it again every day. So plug it into an electric socket. A regular electric socket is all you need. If you go a step up and you have a 220 volt, which is what your electric dryer or your electric stove uses, if you put in a 220 volt charger, now you can go twice as fast in terms of charging. But if you just charge out your home, that's good for 98% of your trips. Yes, you got to be concerned if you go longer than that. There's opportunities and options there that we can talk about in a moment. But first, people don't realize that, especially if you have two cars, easily one for all your local trips could be an electric. And by doing that, your cost of fuel is in many cases half to two thirds less per mile because electricity is so much cheaper than gasoline. So you save on fuel. And then there's all the maintenance costs. You save on oil. There's no oil to change. There's no transmission fluids to change. Instead of 2,000 moving parts, there's less than 20. So instead of explosions happening under your hood constantly, thousands of times a minute, what you have now is a solid-state technology, fewer moving parts, much less things to go wrong. Basically, what you have is a vehicle that you just change the tires, change the windshield wipers, change the windshield wiper fluids, and that's pretty much all your maintenance on your electric vehicles. Everyone, when they take a look at this total cost of ownership, finds that you look at the cost, even if you do pay extra for an electric vehicle, between the fuel savings and the maintenance savings, your total cost of ownership is dramatically less. And that's why we see so many municipalities and other government entities starting to move in this direction because they've looked at their total cost of ownership. And then there's all the labor costs that go into that too in maintaining these vehicles. So tremendous opportunities with electric vehicles. And I'm going to tell you one more, which I found fascinating in just a moment. So first, any any comments or, or feedback on that piece, Trace? Well, I will say being a Tesla owner and I hands down, I bought it because it is just a cool car. I feel like I'm in a rocket ship every time I drive it and it goes 
2.3 seconds to get to 60 miles an hour. It's just incredible. Uh, but I know a lot of people have that range anxiety that you alluded to. Sure, most people are just driving, you know, less than 50 miles to work, but they have this thing, well, what if I take a vacation or I won't be able to use this car? And I can speak as a Tesla owner, Tesla has just done a fantastic job with deploying this network of superchargers. So for less than an hour, you get a full battery charge and on a full charge, my S will go 340 miles. And I, I just got the car just a couple of months ago. So I haven't taken many trips on it, but the one trip I did take was from Atlanta to Richmond, Virginia. And the software is just so smart. The car is so smart. It'll figure out how you're driving and tell you where to stop along the way to supercharge. And it actually had me stopping at two different locations because what happens when you supercharge, it puts every bit of 150 kilowatts into the battery at the very beginning. Well, when it starts getting to about half full, see, I'm the optimist, half full, then it starts trickling down so it doesn't overcharge the battery too quickly. So what the software knows is you're on a trip, you don't want to spend a lot of time there. So it had me stopping 20 minutes in Charlotte and then another 20 minutes in Hendersonville. And then I was fine. I think I made it to my destination with about 19% uh, of the battery left. And the cool thing about where they put those superchargers is it's places you would stop anyway. They're in places where restaurants that you're gonna eat, you're gonna have to go to the bathroom. So, and essentially uh, what happened in my trip was I went into a firehouse sub after I plugged in the supercharger and it took an hour for them to make my sub, me to finish eating it. And when I got back out, it was 100% charged and I didn't even need to take that second stop. So my point is through that demonstration, if I did have any range anxiety, it was all gone with that. And then for fun, I said, well, can I go to Alaska with this? And sure enough, I could. They had enough superchargers where I could drive all the way to Alaska. So it's just amazing what Tesla's done with the network and then what all the other companies are starting to do to lay out infrastructure as well. Yeah, you know, your point is is very well taken. And Tesla, again, has led the way and it's kind of like the Apple and PC difference, right? So. Tesla's system is available to Tesla owners, but Tesla owners can use the other systems as well. So if you have a Tesla, you can go both ways. On the other side, though, if you have a Nissan or a Chevy or a Porsche or a BMW or any of the other electric vehicles, you can use the public infrastructure, but you can't use the Tesla infrastructure. So that is one of the one of the differences. Tesla has its very proprietary network that is incredible, and it's there. On the other side, though, that public network has been being built up, and part of it, there's a lot of things that have been happening over the years. But the the across the country now, it's not as good as Tesla's, but it's still there. And what I would say to people is, look, at this stage, depending upon where you live and where you travel. And where you're thinking of traveling for your vacations or where you need to travel to see family or whatever else, just take a look at it. And my belief is that for most people, most families have, in single family residence, usually have more than one car. And if you want to have it make a difference right away, just have one of them be electric and let that be a local car. Then you still have your other car to take distance. And if you only have one car, you could choose to have it be an electric hybrid. So get 50 miles 
to the electric charge for 98% of your trips, but then you have gas backup. So now you can do the rest of your time with the gas. Or even if you only do a trip, as most people do longer trips, just once every three months or so, for that once every three months, we lay out the numbers, you'll see between the fuel savings and the maintenance savings on the oil and the transmission fluid and everything else, you'll have enough savings that you could just rent the car and still save money and take somebody else's vehicle and do your trips and use their vehicle for when you do your long distance trips. So there's a lot of options. And instead of putting in place the, the, the obstacles, take a look at how you can create the opportunity. And I think what people, most people will find is that they can save money, have a positive impact. And if you have an electric vehicle, just enjoy all the performance benefits of these all torque engines that get incredible performance. So worth thinking about. Well, and did I mention I can go zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds? Oh, no, I think I don't think you mentioned that. <laughs> is it zero to 60? Was it 2.3 seconds? Uh, that is exactly it. So um, that's the coolest car ever, folks. So I want to ask you, what is the biggest barrier you think people have to making some of these green energy choices? The biggest barrier, I believe, is that we humans, uh, we're, we're hesitant to change, right? It's, it's so much easier to just keep doing the same thing that we've been doing over and over again. And we are almost sometimes, it's fascinating to me to see how tough it is to get people to adopt something new. So I think that's the biggest thing is just sort of a mindset about things. And we can do it. I mean, we do it all the time, right? I mean, (laughs) when I was growing up, who would have thought that my kids would have a smartphone and that smartphone had more computer power in it than all the computing power that took us to the moon in the Apollo rocket ships? Who would have thunk that that would have been affordable and that all our kids and all of us now would have these devices that aren't just phones, but their phones and their cameras and their internet communication access devices. And they do all these incredible things, databases of all our friends and neighbors, and we can do all this other social media things. I mean, we kind of do it as it it kind of overwhelms us in some ways, the changes that take place. And we're doing it and we're adopting it. But I think the first thing is just, look, these changes are happening. Take a look for you and your family and your life, work situations, how you can make this transition. Because the transition's coming. It's going to happen sooner or later. But by looking at it now, you can get a little bit ahead of the curve. You could save money doing it, substantial amount of money doing it. And you can actually help to also catalyze the change. One of the studies that I was fascinated by is they took a look at what lets people adopt solar. And a lot of people were like, oh, well, it must be if you have a higher income level. Oh, it must be if you're better educated. And it wasn't either of those things. The main thing that got people to adopt solar was whether or not they knew somebody who had solar. Fascinating, right? So that means that you trace by you doing solar at home or in your office, not only did you save yourself money, not only did you have a cool technology that was out there, but your choice and your displaying that choice to your neighbors means that other people are also going to do it. Well, let me speak to that for a second, if, if you don't mind. So I was influenced by a good friend of mine. He was actually a customer. He retired from a red soda manufacturer here in Atlanta. I can't mention the name. 
But he was one of the engineers there, and he was really into, he was the guy that was into Teslas. He was the guy that was into solar power, and he taught me so much, and he made it interesting. I, I just wanted to know more about the topic, and as I learned more, I wanted to do more. And when we put, and he was the catalyst for me getting started. Then when I saw what the ROIs were, how we can help in all the many ways that we've been talking about during this podcast, I decided, okay, this is something that I need to do. Well, when I started installing the, we have a ground mount array at our house, neighbors started looking, they started coming over. Two of my neighbors have entered into contracts to put solar, now they face at a better distance, so they can put solar up on their roofs, but they're doing it because they saw me doing it. I cannot agree more with that comment. Yeah, it's amazing, right? So, so look, you know, I'm a scientist, right? So I'm, I'm a, I, I went to school, I studied accounting and management, so I got the numbers in back of me and the ROIs are very important. But also I'm a system scientist. My graduate work was in system science. And look, everything about us, everything about us civilization is based on science. All the, the phones, the computers, the buildings, the transportation system, the energy system, the electricity, the heating, the cooling, it's all science. And, you know, the one piece that I would say to people is if you don't believe the 98% of climate scientists that tell us that all our 7 billion people are having an impact on the environment, and you don't believe that you've seen more extreme weather events that are happening between the tornadoes and the hurricanes and the floods and the fires and all the biblical events that we're now experiencing. If you don't believe in the science, okay, you know, sure, then don't believe and don't have a phone and don't have a computer and don't have a house and don't have a car and don't have all the things that science generated. But if you do believe in science and you take a look at where science is and what it says, look, we're having an impact. And you can argue how much of the impact is there versus because there's so many of us having it or not. But one way or another, we're having an impact and we need to make this transition. And we will make this transition. We have to make this transition. And because we can save money, we are going to make this transition. I have no doubt. It's just a question of how fast. So wherever you are and whatever you believe, look, uh, personally, I believe in the science. You may not. Other people have a difference of opinions. Fine. But look at it for yourself from the perspective of how can you save money making this transition? How can you now be at the forefront of your peer group and adopting something that's going to save you money and, gosh, you know, be healthier and better for your family, too, because all these technologies have dramatically positive local effects as well as the global effects. So to me, it's, uh, I wouldn't say a no-brainer, but it's, uh, it's a pretty good, easy brain decision once you start looking at it. I definitely agree with that. When I did the math, when I did the research, there was not a lot of heavy lifting in me making those decisions. And that's true with all these technologies now is as you take a look systematically at clean electricity, at clean heating and cooling, at clean transportation, about doing things using the forces of nature, what you find is that those forces of nature, because look, when the sun shines, the wind blows, the water flows, that's free energy. And under our feet, as the ground four feet down has free energy, that constant temperature. So there's all these ways that we can save energy, save ourselves money, and have a positive environmental impact. And again, it's just, it's good for everybody. It's win, 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 win. I agree. Well, this has been a great conversation, but I'm not done with you yet. I have a few lightning round questions. So are you prepared for these? 
I hope so. Let's go. (laughs) So if you could go back to your first day as a green energy consultant, what advice would you give yourself? I guess the biggest advice is to work with my customers to understand where they're coming from and what their particular sticking points are, what's holding them back. Because everybody has something that's holding them back. Otherwise, we all would have done it, right? So I think the biggest thing is to talk with people about what are their fears and what are their concerns. So I think the first thing is to talk to people and listen really closely to what their hesitation is. Because sometimes I would think that would be ROI, right? I would think that, look, you know, you you don't want to do this because you think it's going to cost you money. And sometimes that's true. And other times you find that, well, no, that that wasn't really it. I mean, even though I offered them a 25% return on investment, their real fear is that someone else had done that before and then they had gotten burned and it wasn't true. So what is it that's holding people back? Is it, what's their fear? And other times, you know, you found that they did something and yeah, the ROI was there, but then it was an inferior product and the company that they chose had a bad warranty or the company that wasn't there anymore. So the warranty was useless. So that was their fear. So I think the biggest thing is to talk to people and listen and find out where they're coming from and what their biggest hurdle is to overcome and help to address that particular piece. What are some of your favorite books that you've read? One of my favorite books, which uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with because it's been around for a number of years, is Think and Grow Rich. One of my favorites as well. If you recall that one, you know, it's a lot of, um, a lot of really good insights into how to just look at yourself and look at the world and, and realize that, you know, we can do a lot of different things with the right attitude. So, so that was um, by far one of my favorites. Another one, which is not necessarily on this topic, but goes a little bit broader, is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel uh, Ruiz. Also a great book. Read that one as well. Right. You know, be impeccable with your word. Don't take it personally. Don't make assumptions and do your best, right? I mean, so I think that applies to this topic, but applies to pretty much all topics. And me, I'm also a half-full kind of guy, so I look at the future. I'm always oriented towards the future, so my interests have always lied in the science fiction types of perspective, um, because from my view, it's always been the science fiction that then opened up the science that then led to the reality. So I'm, uh, I have a good interest, a strong interest in science fiction stuff, and one of the things that I've always loved about science fiction was taking a look in particular at the Star Trek types of things. And I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Yeah, I, I was when I was growing up, I wasn't into Star Trek so much, watching it on TV. And then later on, um, I got into the Star Trek Generations and then realized that the original Star Trek was so advanced in terms of both its perspective on how do we work and live together. I mean, uh, that's one of the things I think is our biggest challenge right now is how do we talk to people and reach the common ground and find the higher ground that seemingly diverse perspectives have that, you know, you have left and right and black and white and up and down and yin and yang. You have these two different diverse perspectives of uh, conservative, Democrat, progressive. Okay, great. Wonderful. I mean, it's diversity that makes the world go round. And what what is amazing to me is that when you reach that common ground, when you find that higher ground, we can do anything. 
And one of the things about Star Trek I, I never realized growing up, but I realized later, was how how fascinating it was that they had the first Russian that was interfacing with other people aboard this ship. They had the first black woman that was a key officer on this ship and the first interracial kiss, which was amazing and uh, you know groundbreaking. And then they had this alien from, uh, from Vulcan that was also part of the crew. And from my perspective, it just goes to show that, you know, when people come together and we decide that we can work together, boy, we can accomplish anything. Well, the simple fact is we have more in common than we do different. And when we can get past those few differences, we can make synergistic decisions and changes. Exactly. Obviously, with a life like yours, Ron, Hollywood's going to find out about it. They're going to make a movie about you. Who plays Ron? Oh, well, I would have said Sean Connery, but unfortunately, we've, he's now gone. So, boy, what an icon that was. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so... Golly, who plays me? Um, great question. And I should have been more prepared. I'm so sorry I'm not. <laughs> I was thinking about it and I was spinning some names, but you know, um, I could see Brad Pitt. I mean, that would be kind of nice that Brad Pitt do it, I guess. Well, there you go. That's there a good go. choice, I think. That's okay. Yeah, that'd be all right. All right. My final question. You now have the ability to talk with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? I think it would be Albert Einstein. And one of my most fondest memories of going to Washington, D.C. is across from the Lincoln Memorial and the Vietnam Memorial, there's a little park. And in that park, there's a big statue of Albert Einstein sitting there. And you can actually go and sit on Albert Einstein's lap. And down under his looking, and when you're sitting on his lap, you look down below and there's a, an outline of the universe of stars and whatever else. And one of the things that I, I admire about Albert Einstein, besides the fact of all his amazing science and relativity and um, all the incredible things that he did scientifically, was he also had a tremendous view of humanity. And his view is that all of us can accomplish amazing things and that the universe, you can look at it two ways, either that it's friendly or it's not. And his perspective was that the universe is friendly and that there is a sense and order behind it that is beyond our imagination, that is beyond our understanding, but that that was what he was always searching for, was that, that incredible meaning of our lives. So I think I would have a conversation with Albert Einstein. Great answer. Ron, I really want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O. I know we all learned a lot. We learned we could just do a little bit and make an impact, whether it's on the environment or whether it's in our pocketbook. And thank you so much for sharing some ideas with the Scaling Up Nation. It has been such a pleasure, Trace. You are doing an amazing amount of work in a great field. Water is key. Without water, there is no life. Without clean water, we can't survive. And these just amazing impacts on efficiency, which is my clean energy area too. So keep up the great work. I love it. It's amazing. And thank you so much for having me on the show. This has been such a pleasure. Wow, think of all the cool ways you can save money and feel good about doing it while you're saving all that money. By the way, did I mention my car goes zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds? That is definitely a cool way to not have to buy gas. 
And folks, let me tell you, I bought my car when they were offering, when I say they, Tesla was offering free supercharging. Now, they don't always do that, but they did when I bought my car, so I don't pay to supercharge. That's free for me to drive my car. Now, like he mentioned, I do have to buy windshield wipers. I have to fill up the wiper fluid. I have to change the cabin filter. I need to periodically you know, rotate the tires, change the shocks, and then buy new tires. But I think that's pretty much it as far as maintenance. And he mentioned the battery. I didn't tell you when we were talking, but I will say that my Tesla gets about 340 miles in a full charge. But here's the thing. I hardly ever full charge it because I'm just driving back and forth to work. Now, if I'm doing a heavy service day, I'll probably take my truck, uh, but they are coming out with cyber trucks over the next year. I can't wait to see those, but I just charge the battery a little bit more. And then when I'm going on trips, the Tesla navigation program tells me exactly where to stop. Folks, the guy that built my car is putting rocket ships into the air. I am just fascinated with all this technology and I get so excited about all the cool stuff I can do with this technology. And then you put on top of that, the fact that I am doing something good, no matter how you look at it. I'm doing something good because I'm using green energy as transportation, or I'm saving money that I don't have to buy gasoline. Whatever camp you are in, when you make green choices, you get to choose what green you are benefiting. Now, Ron has a special landing page set up just for us Scaling Up Nation members. So if you go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash awesome earth kind, awesome earth kind is his podcast. So one word, I love what all that meant when he explained it. I thought it was very clever. If you go there, you will see a lot of the information that he mentioned and so much more. So it will help you get started on making some of these better decisions that we're talking about and allow you to plan what is the return on the investment when you buy one of these items. Also, he has some giveaways that you can register for for some of the products that he mentioned in today's show. So again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash awesome earth kind. Now, folks, I have made a game out of finding ways to save money when it comes to operating costs. I've done this both at work and at home. Now, the main way that I've done this is I bought another device. I mentioned this with Ron. It's called the Sense, S-E-N-S-E. -E. You hook it into your electrical panel and it learns all of the devices that are plugged into your electric network. Now, it does this really cool. It knows how many watts it uses as it's powered, but every single device is different about the frequency that it uses when it comes on and then when it goes through its regular power phase. It learns these frequencies so it knows that it's a toaster oven. It knows that it's a light. It knows it's an air conditioner. And then every so many days, you'll look and it will find new devices. Folks, when you turn on a light, it will tell you that that light is turned on. And you can even combine many of these items so you can say conference room lights so it's not each individual light. So really cool how they've set it up. 
and we've been able to make a game out of it. So if you come to our office, there is an iPad set up in our conference room that has the visual display of everything that is running in our office. And it does it in really cool bubbles. So the larger the bubble, the more energy it's using. And I told you during the interview with Ron that we were able to find many devices that didn't need to be plugged in because they were not being used that saved us two kilowatts per day. Folks, add that up 52 weeks a year. That's a lot of money. That allowed me to have an ROI on the sense. I think it was within the first two months or something crazy like that. I mean, it paid for itself in no time, but it didn't just allow me to have fun with it and figure out what we could do to save energy. It allowed everybody in my team to be empowered to do the exact same thing. People will walk by the screen, look at it and say, wait a second, I left a light on. I don't need a light there. They go and turn the light off and that goes down just a little bit. Just because it's in front of them, we know about it and we can do something. So again, no matter what you consider green being, we are saving that on either camp. We are not using resources we don't need. And folks, that means I don't have to pay for them. When you look at the solar that we put on our building, and now people are using less energy because they're conscious of the energy that they are using, we have a very, very small payback to pay for these devices. And it's really exciting. And as you can tell, I love talking about it. So a matter of fact, I'm going to have the guy that taught me so much about solar on the show, because I think I mentioned it a couple months back that we were putting solar panels on our building. I've received so many emails asking how I got information, what I made my determination on, all around that. I am going to do a show just on that for you because it seems there's a lot of interest. Now, let me get back to the Sense thing for a second because this Sense device, it's so cool. I told you what I'm doing with it at my office. Well, here's what we do at home. Now, I don't have the cool readout, but we all have iPhones and Android, so we can just look at the visual display there on our screen. Now, we found many devices that were plugged in, and we just kept them plugged in, and there wasn't anything charging on them, so we were able to unplug all that, just like we did at the office. But here's the cool thing. That frequency that I was telling you about, that it recognizes when any electrical piece of equipment comes on. Well, it noticed that the fan in our basement HVAC system wasn't showing that proper startup phase, and it gave me an alert that that fan was getting ready to fail. Well, folks, it's in our basement. We don't use it that often because the basement does a great job of heating and cooling itself since it's underground. But a couple of weeks after I got that message, that fan failed. And of course, I got my HVAC contractor out. He replaced that fan, and now it says that it's working fine. Not too long after that, I got another message that the cooling fan in my wife's PC was getting ready to go out. And I asked her about it, and she goes, yeah, occasionally it actually makes a funny noise. So I like to buy from Newegg all my computer parts so I ordered a new cooling fan on Newegg. It came the next day. I replaced it. And we didn't have an overheat situation in my wife's computer. So I just can't say enough good things about this device called the Sense. 
And uh, let's face it, Christmas is right around the corner. So if you wanna get one of your very own or send one as a gift to somebody off of my recommendation, I've set up an affiliate link. You can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash sense, S-E-N-S-E, and that will take you straight to an Amazon affiliate link where you can purchase the sense. Now, folks, if you're wondering what an affiliate link is, if you go directly to Amazon and purchase this, or you take my route of the affiliate link, it's gonna cost you the exact amount of money. The difference is Amazon realizes that you're purchasing that because it was something that I mentioned on Scaling Up H2O. They pay us a very small commission, and that helps us pay a couple of bills around here. So again, makes a great present for Christmas and it just makes a game out of saving money when it comes to electricity. Now, speaking of Christmas, our regular show release date this year falls on Christmas. I don't know if you're gonna be listening to Scaling Up H2O on Christmas Day. I know I personally will, but I wanna make sure that when you are ready to listen to Scaling Up H2O, that you have an episode ready and waiting for you whenever you are ready to listen to it. So that is my Christmas present to you. And I wanna tell you, the show this year is going to be a little bit different than from our normal shows. And that's all I'm gonna tell you about that. So join me next week for another brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. And as of today, you have two shopping weeks left before Christmas. I hope you stay safe out there. I hope you have fun in this Christmas season. I wanna wish you all a Merry Christmas. And as always, have a great week, folks. <music>